0: Hey, Amarillo! I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by StoryBridge, an early childhood literacy program. In Potter and Randall counties, less than half of the children entering kindergarten are ready to learn to read. And this educational deficit, which starts at age five, can negatively affect a child's performance all the way up until the time they graduate, if they do graduate. Two years ago, StoryBridge launched the Dolly Parton Imagination Library program to address this problem. Thanks to generous local donors, more than 6,000 children under five are now registered and receive a new age-appropriate book in the mail every month, at no cost to their families. StoryBridge wants to expand the program to reach more than 10,000 area children. To give or get involved, visit StoryBridgeAMA.org to learn more. That's StoryBridgeAMA.org. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Amarillo Angels, to the 100 Club of the Texas Panhandle, to Amarillo Children's Home, to the Amarillo Area Foundation, and to Heal the City. Those are all amazing organizations, and I hope you'll support them this season. Read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com. Today's guest is Becky Murphy. Becky Murphy. Becky is a school social worker with AISD, where she focuses on homelessness among the local student population. And that's a big enough topic right there. But Becky just has so many interesting parts of her story. She herself grew up in poverty. She gained custody of her nieces and nephew when she was single and in her 20s and raised them. And to do that, she set aside her own career goals and spent nearly 16 years working as a sales manager in the beauty department of Dillard's and moved up into management positions. And only recently, she returned to school to get a degree so she can do the work she's doing now, which is the work she always dreamed about doing. So there's a lot to appreciate about Becky's story, and I'm excited to give her the chance to share it here. Here's Becky Murphy. Becky Murphy, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm honored to have you. I want to start with you the same way I start with all of my guests, and okay. that's just to ask why you're in Amarillo. So what brought you to this area in the first place?
1: Oddly enough, I moved here to start a janitorial business whenever I was like 18 years old. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that brought me to Amarillo. We had some family friends that were living up here and they owned a small janitorial business and I decided to jump in with them and that's how I ended up here. Where
0: where were you from originally? Lubbock. Okay.
1: Grew up in Lubbock and so not a too far of a distance and I hated it when I first got here. I was lonely and sad and didn't know anybody. And ended up getting a job at, do you remember the old Crafter's Mall on Georgia? Yes, I do. Yep. I went in there one day to get cheered up because I had no friends and they had a hiring sign on the door. And that changed everything because I was already making plans to get back to Lubbock and started working at the Crafter's Mall, met friends and fell in love with the people here.
0: Now what happened to the janitorial business?
1: That went by the, we ended up selling that. Okay. I got over that. I was doing that while I was going to school at Emerald College. And so ended up going from Crafter's small, going to school, going to Dillard's. During that time period, I adopted my niece and two nephews. And so life just happened. It got crazy, but.
0: Did you, it. like in high school, did you have a plan for what you wanted your life no. to be? Or were you.
1: No, I didn't have a plan. Not at all. I really didn't. I was just, I I knew in my heart from a very young age, I wanted to be in some sort of a helping field. I thought I wanted to be a school counselor or just a counselor. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I wanted to do something in that direction, but didn't have a clear path just yet. So Emerald College really helped solidify that for me.
0: Was there a desire for you to get out of Lubbock? And come someplace to start fresh? I mean, the, the change from Lubbock to Amarillo is not a huge change. It's not like moving to the Metroplex or Denver or something. Right. Like, was that something intentional or was it just the draw of here's a potential job? I might.
1: Have. It was just the like, here's a potential job okay. and we're just going to do something different and why not? So that was the only reason that led me here.
0: Hmm. Did you graduate from Amarillo
1: College? Um, yes, I did. Okay. Yes, I did. What
0: did you study there?
1: Um, psychology. Okay. And then ended up getting my degree at WT, a bachelor's degree at WT, and then master's at the University of Arlington. Okay.
0: So, and how much of that education has happened fairly recently?
1: Oh, my gosh. I just graduated okay. with my master's. You just finished then? Yep, just now finished. So I, I took a detour, started Emerald College. Ended up working full time at Dillard's and mm-hmm. stopped going to school and then only started back in I think twenty seventeen. Okay. So and then just graduated. Okay.
0: So let's let's fill in some of the uh places there. You you mentioned Dillard's. You also mentioned that you adopted your niece and nephew. Is that right?
1: Two nephews. Two yeah. nephews.
0: So tell me how that happened and sort of why.
1: Okay. So um the short, less messy version okay. is uh, my sister had a really bad drug problem and lost custody of her kiddos. And I took custody of those kiddos, so I was able to adopt them. Um, I was about 22 at the time. Did
0: when, you have kids of your own at no, the time? Okay. No,
1: now now I have had two kids of my own, but I didn't then. I was only 21, so I um, got my niece and my two nephews and I needed good income. And so that kind of derailed my path of like, okay, I need to stop school for a little bit need to have a serious job with benefits, and Dillard's was a an answer to a prayer at that time. So,
0: How old were the kids at that point?
1: The youngest was four, just about to turn five, and seven and nine.
0: So I, I'm trying to imagine you at age 22, no children, and then all of a sudden you have three children, including a nine-year-old. Yeah. How hard, like, was it just... I'm going to help my family. This is what I need to do. Or did you like wrestle with that decision?
1: I didn't wrestle with it. I knew it was what I needed to do. Um, And, you know, I had been very close with them. And so it was just one of those things. I I knew I needed it to do it. I knew it was going to be hard. It was. Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, when you're just in a situation and just every day you're just doing it because you have to do it. Not that, I mean, I had to do it, but it was just...
0: You're treading water. You're just trying to keep your head above water.
1: Yep. And so that's what that's what it was like. Were you married at the time? I was. I was married at the time. And so um, he was supportive and we just knew like, this is family. This is what we got to do. This is what we want to do. And um, it was a blessing being able to do it. So
0: tell me what that's like in your family now, having this sort of blended family with, you know, cousins living it's together, so,
1: growing up together. I mean, what's that like? It's so weird because they're all grown now and and moved out of the house. My oldest nephew actually passed away a couple of years ago. Okay. And so that's been very hard and traumatic on our family. Um, but it is, it's very weird because I've got a set of grown kids and little kids. Mm-hmm. So out of the house, out on their own doing their thing. And then my youngest is five. And so it's really weird to do it twice. It's like, I've got to parent twice, you know, so they were all out of the house by the time I ended up having my own kids. So doing it twice.
0: Tell me, looking back on that decision now, now that you have your own kids, now that, um, you know, they're grown, like, how do you, how do you think about that? Do you think about i I just did something hard that was necessary for me to do, or do you think, man, that was the best decision I would have made because it I mean it, it multiplied your family, I guess yeah. your your parenting
1: i would have I would do it again in a heartbeat. I wish I had the knowledge now mm-hmm. that I have now back then i don't I don't think I knew what I was getting into then. Um, I still would have done it again, but being a parent a second time around, you just learn so much. And my perspective on things is so different. I was just trying to we were all just trying to survive then. Yeah. And so I would do so many things differently. And it has changed my perspective now of what matters and what doesn't big time as a parent. Right. So I'm grateful for that.
0: And that's the kind of education that you only get from actually doing it, you know, and so it, it probably does make you a better parent. Oh, With the younger kids.
1: Absolutely. And I would tell the older ones all the time, I'm like, I didn't know this then. I'm sorry. I, I know better now. I know better, so I'm doing better. But they get it. It's our first time doing this whole thing Yeah, all of
0: us. Which is it's true for every parent, every right. young parent. You take a kid home from the hospital, <laughs> even, and you're just like, I can't believe they're letting me do this.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't be left alone. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I want to talk about what you do now, but I don't want to skip over the Dillard's part because I know that you worked for several years at Dillard's and, and had, um, from what I understand, a, a successful career there. So tell me, I, I know that you you needed that I sort did. of stability, but tell me about working in that sort of retail environment for so long.
1: Man, i tell you, Dillard's was a game changer in my life. It really was for multiple reasons. I grew up poor. Almost every in my family was always poor. We worked minimum wage jobs. That's just what has happened for generation to generation in my family, pretty much. Um, Dillard's was a game changer. I had been working at Crafter's Mall, and my old boss, Neva Wilson, was such a sweetheart. And she was like, you're going to take this this job because I didn't want to leave. But it was paying double what I was making. And I look at the girl that walked into Dillard's with no experience, very little confidence, knew nothing about makeup, or selling, and it transformed me as a person. It mm. really did. Being there, I learned so much about leadership, about makeup, about customer service, relationships, um, everything. I see the the woman that walked out of that store when I finally decided to leave, and the girl that went in. It was night and day, you know. And retail's not for everybody, right? And it's It's hard and it's challenging. The biggest challenge now looking back is trying to do that with a family. Mm -hmm. You know, at the time I needed to do that. But I missed out on a lot of things too um, because it's retail, right? So Black Friday and holidays and that's when you got to be on when most everybody else is taking time off. But um, my time there, I got to be mentored by some of the smartest women I think I've ever met from the top down we I just had great leadership almost and I mean every job has its hiccups right like nothing was perfect but um I went from working at the clinic counter okay just that's where I started I went right in that clinic why they hired me I don't know because I didn't know anything about makeup but um a friend of mine actually recommended me for the job and she was like you've got a great personality you should go to work for Clinique and I I did. And so I started there as just a a beauty advisor at the clinic counter and ended up becoming counter manager. I took a little bit of a step away with some issues that I was having with the kiddos at the time and then came back, stayed there and got promoted to um, the area sales manager over cosmetics and fragrances. Okay, And so it was crazy. Just a lot of personalities, um, a lot of goals to keep, just a lot of moving parts, but it was also awesome.
0: How many years did that last?
1: Let's see. I started in 2001, 2002, okay. and I left in 2017. Okay.
0: What was your title at the end?
1: Area sales manager. Okay. Cosmetics area sales manager. That's what I did there.
0: So I'm, I'm interested... Just because I know that the world of department stores has changed a lot, mm-hmm. especially I mean the period. I imagine you saw a mall, Westgate Mall, in you know two thousand one, two thousand two. That was pretty thriving, yeah. And then kind of saw some fluctuations. And I mean, Dillard's is a, a very big deal still, yeah, uh, and and kind of a huge draw for the mall itself. But like that has changed a lot. So tell me, tell me how that sort of shifted. While you were there,
1: I mean, I remember whenever I first started at Clinique, it would be free gift time and you would have a line that wrapped around the corner. I mean, it was just bustling and it was awesome. Just the energy, the excitement. Um, I loved it. I really, really loved it. And throughout the years, watching it change and shift and seeing how us as beauty advisors and the store to survive really had to adjust Mm -hmm. places like Sephora that came in and all the online shopping that really started happening. We had to work much harder at making a relationship with our clients to get them to come back in because the foot traffic is not what it used to be. They did no longer just come in. We really had to find opportunities to get out into the community, make calls, make relationships to get people back in the doors or you weren't going to make your sales and the store wasn't going to survive.
0: Even the expertise that you may have had at one point was supplanted by YouTube makeup tutorials and TikTok and and all those kinds of things too. Oh,
1: absolutely. Girls come in now knowing more than some of the beauty advisors that probably, Hmm. you know, they just do. They have all this knowledge and they're the experts, you know, because they've been watching these videos and they know all the latest trends. And so you've really got to stay on top of it. And I think even since i even since i left we didn't even have tiktok then like that wasn't even really a thing and so they've definitely had to adjust
0: so after 16 years there when did you start to think it was time for the next chapter
1: i had felt it in my heart for a while that it was about time for me to to make a shift but after i had my son and I just really started feeling a very unsettling feeling of I'm not home I'm Mm -hmm. not home enough and I also knew I wasn't getting any younger I knew I had this desire planted in my heart years ago that I wanted to pursue counseling or social work and I needed to make an adjustment and I started applying for universities and schools and hoping I would get some financial aid and I still couldn't light pull the trigger you know just because mm-hmm. so much safety yeah. was there but I do remember one distinct moment I was facetiming my son goodnight for like the third night in a row it was around Christmas season and I was stocking candles and I turned to the girl working next to me and I was like I'm not going to be here next year I can't I can't do this and she's like yeah we all say that And I was like no I really mean it and over that next week it was just heavy like just heavy on me and um two of my best friends were in a group text and one of them was trying to motivate the other one to start working out or something and they sent this ridiculous video full of cliches about do it now now's the time you know and i don't know what happened that morning but it just hit a string with me and i was like i'm gonna turn my two-week notice today wow and that's what I did. Wished I would have planned that out a little better. Yeah, but yeah. I, I went in and put in my two week notice that day.
0: Okay, so what what happened next? Because you, you you hadn't been like accepted into.
1: I, I, I mean, had, had you been accepted? Into I that? had been okay. accepted, but you know, it was at WT, so I was still trying to. I was like, okay, I can start off with like night classes, and I can do the. I was still trying to figure out what that was going to look like, but I had gotten some scholarships, and so it was making that decision just easier. Mm-hmm. You know, those doors at least were opening up for me in the way of school. And so
0: was it hard to continue your education after having gone to Amarillo college so many years earlier and then the jump back at WT?
1: It was, you know, just, this is why they say get school out of the way before you have kids. Mm-hmm. Cause it was, it was, that part was just absolutely challenging. And I loved Emerald college and WT was a, a little shift, you know, it being a bigger university Um, and having a a one-year-old at the time so it was definitely a shift (laughs) your mind is older and not quite as sharp but still glad I did it
0: did you ever define for yourself what specifically you wanted to do I mean if you knew you wanted to get into helping or social work that's still really broad and so how did you narrow down okay this is the path that I'm going to take
1: the advisors at WT really helped with that. Cause I, you know, I initially thought, okay, I'm going to do counseling and they kind of shifted me towards social work basically, you know, that I would have more job opportunities kind of going that direction and I would still be able to counsel and, um, fall into that role. So that's why it guided me more in that direction.
0: So tell me about finishing up your university career and then moving into the work world. How, how did that happen?
1: Um, Very, very seamless. It was, I, you have to do an internship. So Mm -hmm. I was finishing up my time at WT and um, did an internship at um, Emerald ISD. And they have these intern job fairs that you go to. And this was as an intern who was,
0: you know, a, Fully fledged adult with children and all that kind of yes, stuff. Yes, and
1: that—that's so it's fun to think about. Oh my gosh, it's just it's with
0: a bunch of twenty-one year olds. Yes,
1: and, it's so. I was the oldest person with all my group members. It's just so awkward, and you know when you get older, you just don't care about stuff as much. And now I just think about how ridiculous I probably look to all those 18-, 20 twenty-year-olds. It is what it is, but
0: you were probably really responsible too. Oh,
1: I was. And if they ever had a day where they let class out early, I'd be like. Kidding me I drove all the way out here I want to learn something today like completely different mindset you know going back being almost 40 as opposed to doing it when you're young so but no I go to this job fair one day and I knew in my mind I was like man the school district would be a great place to work especially when you've got young kids and maybe I can do school counseling and I was a little bit naive and not understanding how the process really worked on being a school counselor at the time but I saw an AISD booth set up at that job fair and I just made a beeline to it and I was like I want I wanted to come and do my internship with y'all here sold myself the best I could. They chased me down as I was walking out and they're like, are you bilingual? And I was like no oh, no but I will I'll, I'll study it I'll get an yeah. app. I'll, I'll do, make myself bilingual. yes I will I'll make it happen. I still haven't made it happen but they ended up taking me on as an intern and I in the interview I said, Is there any chance at all that this would turn into a full-time position? Because, right, I'd been out of work for a while. We were struggling off of one income. Mm -hmm. I needed to know I had a job by the time I finished this. And she was like, nope, we're grant-funded, and there's no chance that you'll get hired. I was like, okay. And I had two other interviews, and they both said, oh, yeah, we we can get you on after. And I just kept thinking, man, you never know. You never know what will happen. So I got the internship with AISD, and they ended up creating a position for me hmm. as a specialist at the time, and then um, finished up and was able to move into a social work position there. So, okay,
0: so tell me what your job entails then. Is, is it the same as what they created for you, or has it kind of changed?
1: It's it's changed a okay. little bit. It's evolved. Um, our program has evolved a little bit. So I work for um, AISD, and there's a program within AISD called Families in Transition, it's a grant-funded program, and it's under the McKinney-Vento Grant. And every school district is required to have a homeless liaison, but not everybody gets to have a whole program like we have. Okay. And um, we help homeless kiddos and their families. This program also was just so near and dear to my heart because I grew up homeless multiple times whenever I was little, and so I knew, like, this is where I was mm-hmm. supposed to be. And so it is just amazing that it's come full circle and I'm able to help kiddos and families who are struggling to obtain housing or living in shelters or homelessness. I get to just, we get to help. We get to be helpers and we make sure they have backpacks, school supplies, clothing, and we try to remove any barriers that could keep those kiddos from being able to go to school.
0: So for listeners who might hear you say that, and it it just doesn't match their their picture of what homelessness is. You know, we see people who might be panhandling at the intersections or we see people, you know, downtown with a shopping cart or a big backpack. Yeah. You don't see kids all the time. Right. And so so give me an idea of like the scope of homelessness within AISD, within the school system.
1: Okay. Well, I'm glad you asked that because that that is one of those things is we think homeless, we all have an image that pops up into our head. And that's not what necessarily qualifies you as homeless if you're a kiddo but um one thing to that i wish people knew is we have don't quote me on this but i believe the fourth highest homeless population for students in the state of texas okay so
0: like per capita yeah I guess.
1: yeah so we're we're up there and i believe right now we're sitting at about 1,200 students that are considered homeless under the McKinney-Vento definition of homeless. And so homeless can be they're living in um, hotels or motels with their family. Maybe they're living doubled up. Um, Mom's not in the picture and they're living with grandma or mom can't afford her own place and they're just living with another family. Um, Of course, it can be shelters, um, homeless shelters, domestic violence shelters, those things all are under the umbrella okay. that qualifies a kiddo as homeless. So sometimes people might think, well, they're living in a house and it's like, yes, they're living in a house with one or two other families. Right. So.
0: What kind of impact does that have on a child? That instability, I guess. Um, there's a lot of children in poverty, mm-hmm. but maybe they are living in a house that their family owns or that they rent have a little bit more stability than even a homeless child.
1: Yeah. Well, that is why I love this grant so much is it because it was designed to help give the kids stability at school when they might not have stability at home. So we have a lot of kiddos, unfortunately, who don't know where they're going to be staying that night. Mm -hmm. And I know as an adult, I look forward to getting off and going home to my bed, my things, my everything. lot of our kiddos don't have that and so they might not have the structure that they're able to get their homework done the way they're supposed to because they might be staying in the car till this amount of time till it gets too cold until they go into a house Um, all kinds of different situations that you can and cannot imagine and so that is one thing that I think is really hard for us to understand is kiddos who come into the classroom we have no idea what their night looked like. That night before, were they staying in a different hotel room? Did they get to have to get home and pack? Did they have to listen to their parent on the phone, try to figure out where they were going to stay for the night and go from one couch to another? It can be heartbreaking and pretty intense.
0: Is it spread throughout the school system in terms of the homeless population of oh, students? Yeah. It's I not was, clustered in any particular
1: place? No, and that is one thing that has changed dramatically even since I have started pre-COVID. It has changed dramatically. We used to be housed over off of um, Bowie Middle School, and we pretty much stayed over in that general area. That's where we were concentrated. I think I maybe came over to Amarillo High once, twice a year. Hmm. We're over here all the time now. Okay. And so it's all over. Our schools are seeing it. Um, I think people are just struggling. We also have a large issue with unaccompanied youth. So youth that are couch surfing Either they've been kicked out or they've chosen to move out. And so they are bouncing from friend to friend. And we see a lot of that. And like I said, I don't think I had come to the Emerald High Clusters hardly at all. And it's a frequent for us now.
0: Where does your training come into this job? I mean, I, I imagine it's more than just an administrative sort of thing where you're trying to align students with backpacks or shelters or anything like that. Tell me about the, the soft part of what you do.
1: Now that I have the compassion part, the ethics part, mm-hmm. I'll say that, compassion and ethics, and understanding the importance of knowing my community resources, because that's a lot of what we do, knowing who I can call for a family that needs housing, knowing who I can call this family's got no electricity and who I need to go to, that my schooling and my training has helped with that. Now that I have graduated with my master's degree, mm-hmm. I'm actually starting to work on my clinical hours. So. Our program has even evolved, so we have a few counselors in our office, and I've been able to shadow them um, and work under them to help get to the root of some of those problems and deal directly with the parents or the student and help give them additional support. So I know that it's a very unique need for kiddos who are bouncing from place to place to place and giving them somebody to talk to that's where my expertise comes in, our other counselors in the office, that I can help provide mom with all the resources, but I can also emotionally support you right. and be an empathetic ear to what you're going through and see those unique needs that might pop up that other people might not over, might overlook. Um, also, I get to work with parents now, too, one-on-one, which is awesome, so that we can kind of talk about, how do we stop this cycle? you know? How do we get you out of this? And what decisions or paths can we look and do differently so that you don't have to stay like this?
0: I think a lot of the misconception, at least locally, about homeless people is that a lot of them have chosen it that maybe because of, and I put chosen in quotes, maybe because of drug addiction or because of you know some outside factors, they've determined that this is the path for them. But I, I think about people who have families and little children who would never choose that. And and so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about about those parents and and kind of where they are and and what they're trying to do like you said to to stop that cycle.
1: I wish everybody had a better understanding of that and a little bit more compassion. In looking back, we can all think like man, I could have done this differently or that differently. But it has been very humbling to me, especially like I've been working since I was 13 years old. And whenever I quit Dillard's and went to work as a a social worker, I was completely, when I was going to school, I was completely dependent on my husband. Mm -hmm. I was pregnant and completely dependent on him. And man, had he done one thing, had he ended up cheating on me, had he had some domestic violence episode, anything like that. I don't don't have family around here besides my mom and she's on a limited income I didn't have anywhere I could go and it was eye-opening to see how vulnerable I was in those situations and how that happens to so many of our families that you're going through life you think everything's great boom find out dad's been having an affair he moves out you're you can't pay bills by yourself you don't have a family any family there where do you go what do you do One of the reasons women stay in domestic violence situations is they don't have anywhere to go Um, somebody gets this has happened a lot especially through covid dad was the primary worker he gets really sick one thing they start getting behind on bills that leads to more just it's spirals so quickly and safety
0: net is just really thin if it exists at all for for some families
1: and some of us are super blessed to be like man you have a huge network of people you have that that support and that net not everyone does for one reason or another either maybe they came from a family that was extremely dysfunctional and they're trying to build something on their own so they don't have that safety net but sickness job instability domestic violence um death of a family member that can create just it, it can make the bottom fall out of everything and i've dealt with or, or worked with a lot of families who have been like I've, I've been fine i've been fine and this happened um you know without giving too many details a grandmother who is now raising or taking care of her sick daughter her kids grandkids because everybody got sick she had to quit her job to do this and they're just trying to keep their head above water and they are sinking. And so people do think they think homelessness looks like this and I don't think they realize how vulnerable everyone is to it.
0: I'm curious about your own background. I mean, you mentioned um, that you had dealt with homelessness or were on the verge of it for a lot of your upbringing and then also being in a position where you're taking in, you know, family members who are in a a crisis situation and and having to take in your nephews and your niece, does that experience on your part maybe make you better at your job? It's not just a clinical sort of thing. Like you've experienced some of the things that these families are going through.
1: Absolutely. I feel like it makes me more compassionate. It makes me understand some of the shame that they probably Hmm. carry especially the kiddos yeah. that carry shame for something they have no and control over. We
0: think, yeah, we think of shame as something that maybe is deserved. Like you ought to feel shame because right. of what you did, but they, they didn't do anything. Like this was not their fault or their decision, and yet they still feel shame because of it.
1: Right, and especially our kiddos, and that's that's another thing when it comes to helping these families is sometimes I'm not going to lie. Sometimes parents are making bad decisions mm-hmm. and they're putting their kids in bad situations, and that's real hard. at the end of the day those kiddos still need support and they're not doing anything wrong and they're still having to deal with the consequences of the shame and the embarrassment of what's going on at home and then having to go to school and experience that and so that coming from a background I understand that so deeply and the shame and the weight that that can carry with it and it gives me A very clear vision on what can be done and what can't be done. I watched my mother being a single mom. My dad never paid child support. He never was involved. My mother's never driven a car. And so I watched her raise two girls by herself and we struggled. We stayed in a homeless shelter, went to domestic violence shelter. We had the support and I saw how motivated she was to change and to help get us out of those situations. And so I do expect that a lot from clients, and I want to enable them and empower them to be able to do the same. Um, not everybody can, mm-hmm. and that's something that can be frustrated. Either they are struggling with mental illness or addiction, um, and that that can be one of the more frustrating parts of our job. But at the end of the day, I always think I am, regardless of what your parents are doing, I'm here for these kiddos.
0: Yeah. I I, I want to close this section by asking you about your relationship to. Amarillo. because you you ended up here because a job you thought you might get didn't work and you just stayed. Um, you've built a career here, and yet your career involves seeing some of the uglier parts of the city. And yet you said at the beginning, like you're glad to be here, mm-hmm. you you love this community. Tell me what you what you've learned or, or what what continues to keep you invested and involved here.
1: The people, the people, my my own people, my own tribe of people, my friends. Um, and then the people of Amarillo, we really, I know people always talk smack on Amarillo, but we have good people and I get into a bind even with a client. And of course I, you know, never share their personal information, but I'd be like, Hey, I've got somebody who's needing this or this. Can anybody help? And people just, they step up and they help, they help each other. And I love that about this community. And it's just amazing to see. It just amaz- we might not have all the community resources that we need, and we don't, trust me, but the people within this community will pull together and make sure families are taken care of. I see it every year.
0: Are you surprised where you've ended up? That yes. this is what you're doing, this is where you're doing it, based on where you've come from.
1: Yes. It's beautiful to me. Yes.
0: This episode is supported by attorney Dean Boyd. My son, Owen, was in a pretty bad wreck at Texas A&M right after we dropped him off for his sophomore year of college. The wreck wasn't his fault, but he got broadsided by another driver which rolled his car. The photos of it were just horrific. Owen climbed out the sunroof and he walked away from it, and we're so grateful for that. But his car was totaled and Owen was left with a shoulder injury. Now, one of our first calls was to Dean Boyd's office. Dean had been a guest on this podcast back in 2019, I knew his story, but it wasn't until Owen became a client that we really understood what Dean does and how meaningful that is. Working with his office was amazing. They treated Owen right, they answered our questions, they made the process as seamless as possible, and they were able to negotiate a settlement that covered our son's medical bills and satisfied all of us. As parents, Dean's office was a lifeline during a really stressful period, and so I just can't say enough good things about attorney Dean Boyd. If you've been hurt in a wreck, call him at 806-242-3333 or visit deanboyd.com. Okay, I'm back with Becky Murphy. Becky, this is part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and it's known for its educational programs. In fact, over the past year, more than 1,500 WT students visited the museum. I imagine you... We're one of those students who went to the museum at some point. Absolutely, and
1: have taken my kids.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's a great place to spend a little bit of time. Um, You can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, first question When you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for?
1: I hope for it to continue to be an amazing community where our schools are supported and invested in so the kiddos that come out of that school want to stay here. And invest and pour back into this community. Okay, it's kind of broad, but
0: that is broad. And you know, when you say you want our schools to be supported, that used to just be a given. People would support the schools. That's not always the case anymore.
1: No, it's not. I know that there's a big trend towards homeschooling, and again, nothing at all against that and private schools, but I would hate for Amarillo to ever become like an inner city, have inner city schools. I want to see our community pouring into our yeah. local schools so that the kids and the people that my kids are going to be growing up with are well-educated and supported and well-rounded. That's what I would love to see Amarillo 10 years from now.
0: Yeah. I've, I've had conversations with people I know who live on the West Coast or the East Coast, and they ask me where I went to school, and I talk about going to public schools in Amarillo, and they just think that, really? Yeah. like you, and I'm just like, we have a really good public school system here.
1: We do. We do, uh, and I want it to continue. Yeah. So...
0: Okay, other than wind, what does this area have too much of?
1: Coffee shops. I feel like they're everywhere. And maybe it's because I'm not a big coffee drinker either, okay. but coffee shops.
0: There are a lot. And since some of the bigger chains like Dutch Bros and Scooters started coming in from outside, like it just seems like we have a lot.
1: Yes, yes, a lot.
0: Even more than Starbucks. And we've got more Dutch Bros than Starbucks at this I point. Know. I and there's
1: so. a new one that just popped up off of Western, and the line was backing up traffic the other day and that's when i was like oh enough of these there's a market for it i guess i guess they wouldn't be
0: coming okay what does this area not have enough of
1: affordable housing Hmm. we do not have enough affordable housing and shelters for women and kids okay we have domestic violence shelters but we don't have enough shelters i believe and also we got a teen if we have a teenager that's couch surfing or 16 17 year old kid there's no place for them to go if they don't have a home there's no shelters like that so
0: what's behind the lack of affordable
1: housing i don't know i'm not smart enough to answer that question but um, we've
0: got like apartments being built it seems like all the time we do the nicer sides of town
1: we do but that's
0: a different economic structure than building apartments you know that are in more affordable areas i guess
1: it is i know i'm surprised by you know I might have a client who has a, a voucher for $1,800, what $1,800 will get them. Hmm. It's normally not in a place that I would want to live. Okay. And I think that's pretty sad.
0: Okay. What's your favorite local coffee or tea shop?
1: Water still. I, I, I love water still their water. tastes better than any water around. I love roasters too, but okay. like I said, I'm not a big coffee drinker, but water still do you get the tea
0: too. at water still
1: i'll get the tea okay. or just their just water, straight up so water pure but i also like their tea okay yeah
0: what's your favorite local restaurant
1: el Tejavan. right I love that place good authentic mexican food
0: do you go to the uh location on grand or the location near tesco so?
1: near tesco so, okay. yeah love that one
0: yeah that's uh yeah it's always good there what's the most underrated thing about living in amarillo
1: you know, I thought a lot about this, and I really think that our ease of accessibility to almost everything, and that is one thing when I have family come to visit from out of town, they're like, we're going to go to ALT. How long does it take to get there? And is it I'm like, no, we're just yeah. going to go. Um, and also just how many cool local businesses we have that I don't think people appreciate until you move away from here like places like water still bagel place um huds that you can just get good local food mm-hmm. without it being a chain and i just don't think we have an appreciation for that i think it's underrated the okay. ease of accessibility and some of these great little small places
0: okay when was the last time you visited Paladuro canyon
1: right before school started i took my kiddos out okay. there and so just
0: within last Three months or so.
1: Yeah. Then they have been doing some really cool stuff like nights in the Canyon. I'm mm-hmm. looking at the stars and I was wanting to go to the last one of that, but it got cold and I don't do the cold yeah. <laughs> outside at night. No.
0: Okay. And the uh, last question is, what's one local nonprofit you appreciate?
1: Family Support Services. Okay. I'm actually on the board for them and I love the people within that building. I love their mission and what they do. They cover some really ugly topics that right. most people don't want like to talk about, and they do it, and they do it with such compassion and love. And I love that organization and the people that work for it.
0: I would imagine you end up making a lot of referrals.
1: I do for counseling, what you do for counseling, yes. mm-hmm.
0: domestic violence, like all all the yep. the things that they do there.
1: Yep. And they are doing that work out of their heart. Mm-hmm. They really are. So.
0: Okay. Well, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience?
1: Um, Emerald College. Okay. ALT and Emerald College. But Emerald College, I feel like it is such a gem within our community. And I know a lot of towns have community colleges, but they, even as a resource for what I do now, they are so helpful in filling in gaps within our community, whether it be housing, education, and, and helping guide people onto a better life. So I love that school.
0: Okay. I'm a, a graduate of Emerald College, so I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Becky Murphy, thank you so much for being on
1: the podcast. Thank I you so it. much. Thank you.
0: And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks again to Becky for the interview. Thanks also to StoryBridge, to Attorney Dean Boyd, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting this podcast. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the show every week. And thank you for listening. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because people listen to it. I know you're out there. Um, I want to make it great, compelling, well-edited, all those things for the people who I know listen every week. And so thank you for that. And it's also... Here because of the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash Hey Amarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Patrick Burns, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Cindy Graham, Barbara and Jim Witten, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, and Wes Reeves. This has been episode 331. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.